We are back in the parables, back to hearing from Jesus himself. You can turn to Luke chapter 13, and we'll be in verses 10 to 21. The parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. So I'm going to start with this. This is a parable about the kingdom, about how the kingdom isn't going to come in a way that's big and powerful and outwardly impressive. In 1966, John Lennon is quoted as saying, we, meaning the Beatles, we are more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. And he said that because they were in the middle of their tour through the United States, touring for a long time. And it's at the end of the end of the tour. And the, the crowds are so crazy that they can't find amplifiers powerful enough for them to be heard over the screaming of the, of the fans. I never, you don't, need to move, you don't need to move it to the next one, Peter, but thank you. Um, I don't know why the Beatles were so popular. I don't like the Beatles. But anyway, they were really popular. Um, but the comparison that he's making is that popularity equals success. Um, Christianity is popular. It's successful. The Beatles are popular. They're still popular. Heaven knows why. Um, so they're successful because they're popular. And he says, which one will last longer? And he means, well, who knows? Because they're all so popular. The Beatles are all very popular. And today, I want us to think about whether Christianity, we're waiting for this, this better tomorrow. Uh, how's it going to come? What's it going to look like before it comes? How should, what should we be looking for to expect it? Does popularity equal success? Do numbers equal success? We don't have a lot of numbers here this morning. Are we failures? So this is an important question. And today Jesus says, uh, no, popularity does not equal success. And like teaching sometimes does in real life, our two parables don't come from this formal lesson plan Jesus has, but it comes probably from an unplanned remark that Jesus makes as a result of something that happens in the synagogue where he's teaching. So we're going to talk about today, uh, does, outward, does outward popularity equal success for the gospel, for God's kingdom? We'll be in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 21. We're going to go through the passage first, and I'll make a bunch of comments, and then I'll talk about well, what are you supposed to do with this? What are you supposed to do with what Jesus says in these two parables today in 2023 America? So let's pray, and we'll, we'll dive in. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to Help us to judge things the way you do. Help us to calibrate our expectations. Help us to channel any disappointments, any um, disillusionments we might have, and to reorient them in a positive direction. Help us to see what you say about your kingdom and what we should expect from it while we wait for you to come back and help that to encourage us so we can lead faithful uh, Christian lives today, tomorrow, next week, next month, while we wait for your son to return for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is what our parable says. Are you moving it, Peter? You are? Well, don't. I have the power. <laughs> I'm about to say there's, like, there's a ghost in the sound booth or something. But you're moving it at the right time, so how about that? So this is what it says. On a Sabbath, 
Luke chapter uh, 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. So Jesus is in a synagogue. So he's probably, we don't know where he is. I think he's up north, near in, in the Galilee area. And every time Jesus is in a synagogue, bad things happen. Because every time he goes into a synagogue and he teaches, he teaches completely differently than the religious leaders teach. Because the, the system that was around at that time had, was, a, was a, a perversion of what the Old Testament was supposed to be about. It had become really legalistic. Uh, a relationship with God is based on these list of 8,000 rules and making sure you follow them okay. And if you don't follow them okay, you need to fix it and then follow them okay now. So it, it's a, there's not a lot of love in the relationship. It doesn't mean everyone was a terrible person. It just means that the system that had been built up was like a bunch of barnacles that had crusted over the Old Testament scriptures, a lot of tradition and a lot of other things, which might have been good when they first began, but over time they just crusted over everything. And so Jesus's day, what, the, 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 what it meant to have a relationship with God, what faith meant, had become really different from what the scripture actually said. So every time Jesus teaches in a synagogue, he usually faces a lot of opposition from the people. And so here Jesus is teaching, teaching in the synagogue. It doesn't tell us what he was teaching, but Luke chapter 4, when Jesus taught in his own hometown church, gives us a good example of the kind of stuff he would say. He would talk about how uh, the, 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 kingdom, uh, the kingdom is coming, how he's come to heal, heal the sick, heal the blind, heal the lame. The, all that better tomorrowness, the glimmerings of it, little flashes of it are, are coming into the world through him to show that he's the Messiah they need to trust. So he's teaching in the synagogue. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. That might sound weird to you and me because we think in terms of modern medicine. If, there, if she's crippled, then she has some medical condition. She needs a brace. She needs a surgery. She needs something. There's some physical thing that can be fixed in the woman so she'll be okay. But Jesus goes behind the, the physical problems and goes to the, the root of what's wrong. She's been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Uh, scripture teaches that beside all the cancer, the, the hurt back, the illnesses, the COVID, behind all of that stuff is a darkness that isn't meant to be here. There's a reason why the cancer comes. There's a reason why um, someone dies long before they should. There's a reason why we have physical problems. There's a reason why we have mental problems. There's a reason for all of those things that go beyond just chemicals in our body and the fact that our vertebrae is infused the way it should be. There's a darkness that has, that has infected everything. So at the, at the back of all the stuff that's wrong with us is a darkness, a satanic, a satanic stain that it just impacts everything. And that's what Jesus, that's what Luke goes to um, as he digs into what's really wrong with her. So she's in a bad way. She was bent over 
and could not straighten up at all. So I want you to think of how difficult it is for someone who's physically disabled to, to get around today. You know, e even 40 years ago, there was no um, uh, Americans with the Disabilities Act. That only came about, I think, in 1990, where they mandated things to make sure that people in wheelchairs or people who have struggles can get into places. And that's just within modern memory. Who, who fetches this woman water from the well? She's really crippled and stooped over. I mean, who gets it for her? Who washes her clothes? She can't just throw them in the washing machine and put them on the spin cycle. I mean, who helps her cook? How does she get money? How does she prepare food? How does she do all these things that are hard? Think about how you would do them now if you were in her condition. You know, how do you go to the grocery store if, you can't, if, if you're in her condition? How do you do them now? It might be hard. So this is a really vulnerable woman who's gone through a lot of stuff in life and is probably not doing really well. Maybe her son, maybe her daughter, her family is taking care of her, maybe not. She's still making it, but she's had a really hard life for 18 years, which makes us think that she didn't used to be this way, but she has been for a while. Not good. Bad shape. And so there she is over there. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. What did Jesus do? Did he talk to her as she's in the back? What did he do to her? What did he ask her to do? He called her forward, like called her to the front in view of everybody. He called this woman who is not really a nobody, but someone who's not very able, who you know, sits in the back, because uh, she not to get in anyone's way and you know, the, 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 this nobody woman he calls her to the front he's teaching and he sees her and he calls her to come to the front and then he speaks to her woman you are set free from your infirmity if you have the king james he says woman thou art loosed and it's this um it's this image of someone who's tied up and you you set her free she's set free you are set free, you're loosed, you're untied, you're, you're, you're liberated from. It's this imagery of you've been tied up and now whew, I'm setting you free just by speaking. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up so everyone can see it. That's why she's not at the back. She's right here. Straightened up and praised God. It's a miracle. Everyone knows that she's crippled. Everyone knows that she's struggled. Everyone knows. So he calls her to the front, heals her in front of everybody, and they see her straighten up, which she couldn't do, and she praises God. And now we get to the, the crux of it, the, the conflict. How does the synagogue, how do the synagogue leaders react to this? Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. That's why Jesus never gets a good reception in the synagogue. What kind of attitude does this synagogue leader have? It's so mean. Does this guy seem like a warm teddy bear? 
There's no teddy bear here. He's angry. He's indignant because to this guy and to so many other people in Jesus' day and Paul's, relationship with God is based on rules. Now, rules are good. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to put off the old person, put on the new person. But rules come because of love. I love God, so I want to do what he says. This guy, relationship with God is about rules first. I don't know where love is. It's maybe it doesn't exist. That's why he's indignant. He's angry because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. There are people who trend that way still today. I was in a class in seminary where there was this big discussion because the teacher believed we can only do things in church on Sunday that the scripture explicitly shows us. And so he said, if you have an Advent candles, you're sinning against God and in creating false worship, just like uh, Aaron's sons did in Leviticus 10 and they were destroyed by fire. You know, you, you can't put an Advent wreath. You can't have a banner. You can't have those. They need to go. It's not in Scripture. Um, you, you, you can't do anything that's not in Scripture. And the attitude was very self-righteous. If you have a poster in your church, you're probably one step away from having God strike you dead. If you have Advent candles that you light, you're probably a step and a half away from being struck dead. And the relationship with God seems really cold. He showed us a, a, a live stream thing of his church service to show us how worship, how he believed worship should be done. And it was cold. We had a, foreign, we had a student from Russia in the class and he said, um, he said um, in his Russian accent, he said, I watched the video and it was, how do I say, cold very cold, like Catholic, <laughs> because it was cold. Relationship with God is about making sure everything's right, the rules are followed, but he would never say that. I'm not saying he's a bad person, I'm just saying that the, the, the vibe and the feel is trending a lot toward rules instead of relationship. And this guy is indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. There are six days for work, come back, you can heal another day. This woman is meaningless to him. She's like furniture. That, that, that's, the, that's the feeling that this guy gives out. She's furniture. And you can heal some other day. What's really important is we follow the rules. And it's the Sabbath. You can't work, even though Jesus didn't do anything but speak to her. He didn't do anything. He spoke, and she was healed. But it doesn't matter, because she's not a person, she's an object, and the rules were transgressed. That's why he's indignant. He's not just angry, he's full of indignation. This is, this is wrong! And that's what he says. And Jesus, because Jesus isn't infected with the, with, with the false view of a relationship with God that had been crusted over by tradition, Jesus says, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? The word untie there is the same word, loose. He does that on purpose. You know, you, you, you loose your donkey or your ox on the Sabbath so they can get water because it's, it's kind of important. You do that, right? Yeah. So, 
Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? Loosed. It's, it's the same word. He told her, you are set free, you're loosed. He told, indignation comes, how dare you? And Jesus says, you know, you, you loose your donkey to get water on the Sabbath, right? And that's fine, right? But this woman, she, she, she has to wait, right? The donkey's more important than this woman, this daughter of Abraham, this believer. What's wrong with you? That's why he calls them hypocrites. Not that they deliberate, and that's the problem. It's not that these are, these are not cartoon people. Right? The synagogue leader is not some evil guy who got up in the morning and is twisting his mustache saying, <laughs> I can't wait to find someone to, to, to stick it to today. But he's so contradictory, he misses everything. Like, what's wrong with you? If I followed your logic, the donkey's more important than this poor woman. Is the donkey going to wait? There are six days for the donkey to have water. Tell him to come back another day. No. But this woman is nothing. What's wrong with you? You're a hypocrite. Maybe not deliberately, but you're so blind that you say a donkey is more important than a woman who needs to be healed. And this encapsulates the difference between these two ideas of relationship with God. The system that had been crusted over with tradition that was there's no warmth, there's no love, there's no God, there's only the checklist versus what Jesus is coming to offer, which is what the Old Testament talks about, the real truth versus what they got. That's why in verse 17, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Why are they so happy? I'll come back to this in, the, in a few minutes, but why are the people so happy with what he's doing and with what he's saying? Leaders are angry, they're ashamed, they've been humiliated in front of everyone, but the people are delighted with all the wonderful things he's doing. And so, as these two reactions are going on, people are excited, think it's hilarious, these people are being ashamed, they're, they're inspired by what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. Then Jesus gives the parable. You were wondering where the parables are coming. Well, he gives them in response to this rejoicing that the people are feeling as they see what's happening, as they see him offer a warm alternative to the cold, legalistic, rule-based relationship. They're so happy. So now he wants to tell them about this kingdom that he's been talking about. He was teaching at the beginning. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what he was teaching, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch that he's teaching about the gospel, about the kingdom, about all of the good things about the better tomorrow. And so now that he's shown them personally what the better tomorrow will bring, people being healed, disease being gone, all of those bad things thrown to the winds never to come back, they're excited. They're happy. So now he wants to tell them about this kingdom so they'll, they'll know how it's going to come. What is, what's it going to be like? How should we expect it now while we wait for it? Then Jesus said, verse 18, 
What is the kingdom of God like? What should I compare it to? What should I compare it to? What should, what should you think about the kingdom? As you sit here today, and as you're thinking about what is God's kingdom like? How is it going to come? Do we need to do anything to make it come? What's it supposed to look like? Is it going to be big and powerful as it's on its way? Or is it going to be something else? Jesus is going to tell us, what, what should I, what's the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? So he uses two things to get this across. It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. It's a tiny seed. It's not the tiniest seed that ever existed, but it's, it's pretty small. This little, pathetic, insignificant little seed. It looks like nothing, like it can be nothing. He says the kingdom is like this tiny little thing. And a guy puts it in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. And this is the point where that Jesus is making. It's a mustard plant. It's a shrub. Listen, these are mustard plants. This is not going to be a huge tree. Even if you just let it go, it's never going to be like the trees around here. It's, it's never going to be that. It's a shrub, a big shrub. But what Jesus says is from this tiny little thing, it's nothing. The kingdom of God is like this mustard seed, and you plant it, and it becomes this, this mutant mustard tree thing that, that's a million times bigger than what you should ever realistically expect from this tiny little seed. And that's what Jesus is saying. Some people spend time and they're like, well, a mustard tree, mustard plant doesn't really grow that big, so Jesus must be mistaken. So this must have been written by someone who didn't know the geography of the area. That's not his point. His point is it's, he's deliberately making it ridiculous. This little tiny thing produced a huge tree big enough for birds to, to, to nest in. You say, well, a mustard plant doesn't get that big. Of course, but the kingdom does. That's the point. From these little, this little tiny thing this, this homeless rabbi guy and his 12 followers, his 12 inner circle, and then who knows how many others, from this tiny pathetic little thing, massive tree, big enough for birds to roost in. Well, mustard plant doesn't do that. I know. That's the point. It's a growth, a mutant, mutant growth, all out of proportion to what anyone would ever expect or even what's really possible. That's the point. Little insignificant beginning, and in the end, an amazing, huge tree that is not, outwardly, is not possible. Because the mustard plant doesn't grow that big. That's number one. That's the first comparison that he wants us to get. His kingdom looks so small and pathetic, but it grows to mutant-like proportions, all out of bounds from what it ought to be. And the next one, again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. 
any of you have a bread machine at home uh, and make bread, you know, you, you make the dough and you add yeast and mysteriously over the course of the time that it bakes, it rises and everything. This little tiny, this small amount mixed into the dough makes the entire, permeates the entire thing and makes the, and, and, and changes the whole thing. And if you forget to add yeast and you open the bread maker, it's done. You're like, oh, oops, forgot to add the yeast. It's this flat looking thing, this dense, it's not, not good. Add the yeast so it rises. And that's Jesus's point. His kingdom is like this little tiny thing. And he gives this huge mass of flour as an example of how small a thing can have such a huge impact. But what are most bread makers? One pound? One pound bread maker? Maybe two pound? Uh, this is 60 pounds of flour. You know, yeast mixed into this huge thing of flour, 60 pounds, uh, but yet it works all the way through it and makes the entire thing rise. That's the second thing that the kingdom is like. Uh, even the smallest, even the smallest things that we do for God have an impact all out of proportion to what they seem to be. Just like that yeast has an insane impact on the 60 pounds of flour that you mix together. It permeates and impacts the entire thing. And that's the end of our parable. So now I want to go back to the question as to why he told the parable. Why were the religious leaders so humiliated and the congregation so happy? I think it's because of what they saw, what they'd seen their whole life from the synagogue leader and well-meaning people like him, where relationship is rules, indignant because the rules have been broached, broken. That versus what Jesus is offering, the reality. Rules versus love. We love him because he first loved us. The religion they're used to is cold. God is portrayed like as this bully policeman who's ready to just pull you over for no reason whatsoever, looking for the slightest excuse to pull you over. That's the kind of God that they've been taught to expect. I can't I can't be in the same room with a Gentile because now I'm contaminated. And if I don't follow all these 300 rules about the Sabbath, then I've broken the law and need to, need to obtain atonement. They're all rules that, have no, that, that aren't in Scripture. And so if you live like that, where a relationship with God is based on, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. If you're going to do this, make sure you don't do these 20 things too. Your idea of God is as the bully policeman with his club ready to yell at you. But that's not what the God of Scripture is. And when they see the distinction between Jesus' love for this woman, he healed her, versus, this is not appropriate! When they see that, that's why they're so happy. That's why they're so delighted. He'd been teaching them, and now they see. They see the difference. The leader's not happy. He's humiliated. Jesus shows them in verses 15 and 16 that relationship with God is about love. It's about showing more mercy to a woman who needs help than a donkey. And so as they're 
as they're overjoyed because they see this, these parables flow from that contrast, the model they've been raised with versus what Jesus is offering. So in verse 18, when he starts telling them about the kingdom, he's, he's basically saying, so, okay, you're very excited about, let, let me tell you about the kingdom that I'm, that I'm talking about, where love and mercy will reign, where people will be healed, like this woman, and more diseases, no more cancer, no more uh, COVID, no more flu shots, no more any of that. Let me tell you about this kingdom and how it's going to come. So what does the mustard seed have to do with you today? What's the, the, the leaven, if you like the King James Version, the leaven or the yeast? What's that have to do with you today? What are you supposed to leave here with? I think we need to leave here with a different mindset. That's what I think the Lord would have us leave here with. The mustard seed. This tiny little thing produces a mutant tree all out of proportion to what it ought to be. In America, this is why this is important, and this may not be you, but I think it speaks to a lot of Christian frustration. In America, um, we sometimes think of Christianity's future in negative terms, because things aren't good anymore. Things aren't the way they used to be. We want a day, we remember a day, are you doing something again, Peter? Okay. Uh, we remember a day when people knew what gender they were, right? There was a day when that was real. We, there was no confusion. We remember a day when we knew who it was right to love and who wasn't. it wasn't right to love. We, knew, we remember when things were the way they were supposed to be. We longed for Mayberry or something like it. Wholesome goodness. Uh, we long for all of that stuff where things were better, things were simpler. We, we knew things that suddenly we can't know anymore. We can't know what a woman is. We can't know what a man is. We don't know who we're supposed to, who we're supposed to have sexual relationships with. All this is now thrown up in the air, but it didn't used to be like that when Andy Taylor was sheriff. Or maybe, maybe this is too far away. Are there, are there good, wholesome 80s sitcoms? My wife recommended Punky Brewster, and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's an 80, plug in whatever 80s equivalent you want. The Cosby Show, before everyone found out that he was a terrible person. But anyway, wholesomeness, right? There, we want a better time. And so when we think of, um, when many Christians think of Christianity in America, we tend to do a few things. We tend to think in terms of despair, because Mayberry is not coming back. And we think in terms of restoration. It should come back, though. And we need to, we need to fight to, to, to put it back. You know, we want Sheriff Taylor, and we want Aunt B and Barney Fife. You know, the, we need to bring these people back. They did bring them back in a TV movie from 1986, so I, I can't speak to how good that one was. But we want them to come back, or we, we, want a better, we want that old time to be back, or we want to just escape. Come, Lord Jesus, because everything's going to burn down. I just want to get out of here. So we, we think in a negative way. And so we read, we read the mustard seed parable, and even though we might not admit it, we might smirk or snort or say, well, this... This parable doesn't seem to make much sense today because it doesn't seem to be a big... The kingdom doesn't seem, seem to be a big tree where all these birds are nesting. It seems to be a dying tree, like the, like the tree in my backyard, you know? Um, it doesn't... Things aren't going well and they're getting worse. 
So where is this out of proportion triumph that Jesus promised? Because I don't see it. He might think that. So what are you supposed to think of the mustard seed parable today when in America, at least here, it's not a, there, there's, not a, there's not a lot of good stuff happening from, from a kingdom perspective. This is where we need to change our perspective. Christianity is exploding. It's just not exploding here. In the year 1900, 82%, these are good statistics, they're from a Christian think tank from a seminary out in Massachusetts, and this is all they do. They're, 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 their life is to do these statistics. They put out reports, they're well-received, they're good. In the year 1900, 82% of all Christians were in the global north, Europe and the U.S., Canada, you know, the West. And only 18% were in the global south, Asia, Africa, South America. It was all, we were Christian. This is a Christian country, it's a Christian world, and almost no one else was Christian. The year 1970, 59% of the Christians are in the West, and 41% Africa, Asia, South America. Today, which should be no surprise, today 33% of Christians are in the West, because the West is dying. But Christianity is exploding everywhere else. Asia, China, Africa, South America, we just don't see it because we don't live there. All we see is a culture that doesn't like God and doesn't pretend to care anymore. So if you look at the mustard tree thing and you become depressed or upset, the bigger picture, Christianity is, it's exploding everywhere. The mustard tree analogy is still real and still true. A faith that teaches die to yourself, turn to God and love him, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, that message is just exploding around the world. And it only works by attacking our selfishness. The only way to make it flashy and attractive, the only way to package it and sell it so that people are like, wow, I got to have some of that, is to lie to people. That's the only way to make it attractive. This is not an attractive message. You're not a good person, but Jesus came to be a good person for you, and you're, you're, you're a criminal in God's universe, but he loves you so much anyway that you need, you need to say you're sorry and join the family, and he'll change you, he'll shape you. That's not a, that doesn't sell. And it's subversive. It tells us everything you know and have been taught, it's all wrong. You need to leave this culture. You need to say no to this culture and its values and its fake promises. And you need to to join this family, the real family, and he'll change you. God will change you from the inside out little by little to be the person who he really made you to be if we return the love that he first showed us. It's subversive. It's It's not sellable. That's why we depend on the Spirit to change people's hearts. But still, that message is exploding. It's just not exploding here. So what does the mustard seed have to say for us? Generically, it means God's kingdom looks so small and pathetic, but it's going to be big. But specifically for us today, I want us to see that this is still true when you look at the whole world, even if it doesn't seem to be very true here in Olympia in 2023. Where is this mutant mustard seed triumph that Jesus spoke of? It's going on everywhere. 
It used to be going on here, back when Sheriff Taylor was in town. But Sheriff Taylor's retired now. And his deputy, okay? and Aunt B, I don't know where she is, but uh, it's exploding in other places. We still have work to do here, it's just harder. It's hard. This message that's really unattractive to natural people, it's still changing hearts and minds today. That's where I think the mustard seed parable can, can reshape our perspective. Don't look at the world through a lens of despair, post-Christian society, everyone hates Christians, and have this, oh, this Eeyore sort of Christianity. We don't need Eeyore Christianity. It's still happening all over the world. It's just particularly difficult here. The second one, the second thing we can learn from the parable of the yeast, are you depressed? This goes along with the other one. Are you depressed about Christianity in America? Are you depressed about our small church? We don't have a huge church. I don't know why. If there's some pixie dust that I'm supposed to sprinkle as I drive my car that'll just make people come, if you know where it is, then tell me so I can buy it. I'll have the church buy it. And we'll, I'll sprinkle some, and then we'll be fine. But this is a small church. You know, will, will, will anything, do you sometimes think, does anything we do really matter? The pray and go thing, where we meet once, we're starting again at the end of this month, because Thanksgiving and, and Christmas we took off. We meet once a month on a Saturday at the end of the month, and we go distribute door hangers to neighborhoods in the area. And the last time, there were four of us. And you think, well, how pathetic. What's the point? You know, we're just nothing. We're just like take, trying to empty the ocean with a thimble. What, the only reaction we've got from it is some angry old guy who called and said, and said that we missed the no soliciting sign that he had on his porch, and he was really angry. That's the only reaction we got from it, right? And you're like, well, what's the point? It doesn't matter, right? Uh, the event, we do evangelism videos two a month, and we advertise them on Instagram and Facebook. And... We get tons of comment, tons, tons of people view it. A few people comment, they're usually Christians, and they say amen with prayer emojis and things like that. Are we really reaching people who don't already agree? I don't know. I don't know. So what's the point? You know, we, we're doing a, every three months, we want to do this music evangelism thing where we advertise in the community, invite people to come and have pizza, and we sing Christian songs together and and little snippets I'll explain. I take a moment to explain. This song is about this, so listen to these words. And, you know, it, no one came the last time we did it. No one came because it was raining. That's what I tell myself. It's terrible rain outside. So a lot of people said they would come, and they didn't come. Um, so what's the point, right? Depressing. Everything we do, nothing happens. So are you depressed about the little things that we do that don't seem to mean anything? The youth thing? The first month we start, which I hope will be February, we'll probably have four people, four kids. How pathetic, right? That's what you might think. It doesn't matter. All these little things, it's so sad. No one cares. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make a difference. That's what we think. Jesus, in this parable of the yeast, this little tiny amount that you put into this massive 60-pound vat of flour, yet it mixes and permeates all the way through it, and has an impact. That's what Jesus, I believe, is getting at here in our context, is even the smallest things that you and I do for his kingdom has an impact, a meaningful impact, all out of proportion to how little it seems. 
you volunteering to help teach kids once per month in the um, children's church. You know, there's only, on a good day, there's only five kids. Oh, woe is me. What's the point? It doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. You contributing things for the uh, Union Gospel Mission uh, back there, the bin. It's even a small bin. I mean, how it's, you know, you could think, well, how sad. You know, it's just this little pathetic bin back there. What is that? When you look at the homeless encampments everywhere, what is that really going to do? It does matter. You passing out door hangers, maybe not every month, but coming, coming to pass out door hangers for the pray and go thing. It does matter. You praying for your coworkers matters. You teaching your kids about God at home matters. The things you do that seem so silly, they don't seem important, they don't seem big, they don't seem important. This isn't a mega church, there's no fog lights. I don't have that, that microphone thing. I don't have a graphics design team. None of that. I'm doing live stream and preaching at the same time, and I'm trying to finish in five minutes, or Peter will have to press the button again, and then it'll go off. So what does it matter? It matters. It matters. The little things that seem so silly have an outsized impact that we might not even see. Like Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. This could be an excuse to just do nothing and say, well, God must not want to bless. But if we are doing things and trying, then we're doing what we're supposed to do. Trying to do things, actually doing things, and they will have an impact. So these two parables, what's the kingdom like? It's still growing crazily out of proportion to its outward appearance, even though it's not an attractive message. Don't confuse our local challenges with global reality. And the yeast, the kingdom, permeates and transforms the world even in the smallest ways by the things that you and I do that we ought to do. And these are all complementary. They go together. So when we read our Bibles and we get to John 6.14 and Jesus has done, done a miracle, he's taught people, and then we read they were going to take him by force and make him a king, we shake our heads and we say, they were expecting a political messiah and they didn't listen to what Jesus said. They were stuck with tradition. What fools! And we think that. But how many of us do the same thing when we become depressed about Christianity and our country in 2023? How much doom and gloom do we imbibe from our favorite news sources who lust after ratings? When Trump was the president, Trump is evil, and if the world's going to end, and Christian nationalism is terrible. Now Biden is the president, and now Biden is evil. He's hiding all the documents. He's corrupt. And it's just hatred, 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 anger. And how many of us take that in? And instead of looking at the scriptures, we do the same thing that people did in John 6, 14, and we transform our expectations into, this must be fixed now. How enthusiastically do we agree with the Christian influencers in our life who wrongfully frame the faith as this eternal fight against secularism, against the Democratic Party, and against everyone who's not like us? And it's just this sort of ethos of, Outrage because things aren't the way they're supposed to be and we need to make things the way they used to be. We want something bigger, more powerful, more popular. We want Mayberry back. We want to be as loved as the Beatles. Even though we wouldn't say that, we want to be loved. We want to be popular. We want 
Christianity to be powerful again in this world, in this country. And so many of us become upset because America no longer pretends to be a Christian nation, and it's very much the opposite. So what should you do with these parables today? Jesus' kingdom was never going to appear as big, powerful, indestructible, and popular. It's this little mustard seed. It's this little bit of yeast. It seems pathetic. It doesn't seem like anything special. It seems weak. But in the end, when Jesus comes back, it's going to turn into something big and mighty when he comes back. For now, we shouldn't be surprised if we're seen as small, weak, insignificant. What does it matter if you teach kids once per month and there's five of them? What's it matter? Satan says it doesn't matter, but God said it does. So keep the faith, especially in a small church and in a tough culture that's not friendly to Christianity. God doesn't judge success by whether the gospel is as popular as the Beatles. But John Lennon was wrong. Newsflash. Keep the faith. Trust in the kingdom that will come in the way Jesus said. Let's not get confused by expectations that aren't scriptural. Let's keep the faith and trust that God is still permeating this world by the little things you do, and his kingdom will grow and be all out of proportion to the little thing it might seem like in Olympia, Lacey, and Tumwater in 2023. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to love you more. Help us to have your perspective, not our own, and give us the Give us a spirit of confidence and excitement as we look forward to just doing what we're supposed to do and leaving the results up to you as you grow uh, your family to be in your kingdom that's coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.